The SV Pod is presented by DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Before we get started with the podcast, a word from ZipRecruiter. Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day. But obviously, today is different. We are partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Also, this reminder, The Last Dance continues this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Immediately after the show airs, listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby, the after show presented by State Farm and AT&T. The guys will be joined by Jason Hare to talk about this week's show and behind-the-scenes stories of the making of the episode. Subscribe to Jalen and Jacoby, the after show, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you download and subscribe to SV Pod. And if you don't want to listen to the podcast, and obviously you should, you can also just keep watching television because I'm on sports that are doing that. So whatever you want to do, you want to watch TV, we're on TV, you want to listen to podcasts, check out Jalen and Jacoby. Either way, we got you covered. All right, welcome in. It's another episode of SB Pod. Steve is here. Good afternoon, Steve. Hi, buddy. How are you, pal? You think we'll ever be able to be in the same studio and, and do this so we don't have to align computers and phones? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't remember what anything was like before this. Do you? That's a great point. It's it's become the norm. you got to put your mask on. you got to show a letter to the gate that you're working here. you got to have all this stuff. If you don't have your face mask, you got to get another bandana. I don't it's, show them uh, a letter. I don't show them a letter. I just hit them with the Dan Patrick. I just wave my hand and go, I'm the network. <laughs> Years ago, I think it was post 9-11, they had all these security checks. And one night, Dan was walking down to do the uh, six, and some security person in the hallway stopped him like it's 550. And Dan just gave him a wave and said, I'm the network. And he kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that, is, that is a power move right there. So now I just yeah. give them the wave and say, I'm the network. I don't do that. I just can't find my letter. Do you think I know where the, my letter is? I don't know where it is. I have it, but I don't know where it is. What What would you find first, the actual hard copy letter or or the letter on your phone? I don't know that I ever got it on my phone because I think they okay. sent it to my work email. And as we've established, I have like 8,000 <laughs> unread emails in my work email. I have the letter somewhere. I will take the over on that. I, I don't know. I, I just don't remember. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to be dramatic. Last week I lost it. As we know, I got a little bit got a little bit in my feelings. I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I just I swear to God, I don't remember anything that felt that feels like what life used to be like. Um, it's just we're in this. That we're in this this ether, just in this in this suspended animation of whatever this is, and I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll ever be in the same studio. I don't know anything. I I, I don't know. Maybe so, at some point we will, but I don't know when that is. Are there gonna be sports? Okay. Yes, yes. When? Yes, yes, yes. Ah, uh, I mean, 
if you if you know that question, then you're yeah. not doing this podcast, you know? Yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll play golf in June. I think for sure. And you know what? They should figure it out. Like there's there's wide open spaces. Just you, you're in your caddy over there. I'm over here. Wear masks, whatever. Like just they could play golf. They could do that. But what like, is that rest- like? That's like forty days away, right? I don't know. I can't. Keep we just doing did this. like sixty something. I think. No. I don't know. I can't keep doing this. I just thank God for the last dance. It's incredible what a twenty-something-year-old story and the power of Jordan. This is when you want to have the conversation of greatest all time, and you want to argue mm-hmm. about this and that and whatever. Like twenty years from now, you think LeBron James is going to have this reach? Yes. Okay. He might. I'm not saying he won't. I'm asking you, and you think he will? I do. I do. Um, it's just a lot more. I think there's a lot that many more fans now, and um, you know, I just, I, I just think. I mean, the other thing that you know, everybody, you know, after the first two episodes, everybody wanted to talk about Pippen not getting a lot of money, uh, and then I saw, you know, you can take it as you want. Pippen ended up making more money on the court than Jordan did. Like you have to realize the time that it was. The NBA just blows up. Because of this team, this guy, this circumstance, this head coach that is controlling all this stuff, the NBA skyrockets um, after you know the the, the lockout, and then after, out of that, the popularity has never been higher now. But it's it, it's it's because of I mean, look at I mean I I, I know you're not a sneaker guy. I, I'm sort of like this this Jordan sneaker thing is still incredible. You can't buy them. They're, That's what I'm it, trying it's, to say. It's, it's That's what Right. Well, I mean his. The, the, his reach is his, still massive in yes. that space. He's a 57-year-old guy who hasn't played in 17 years, and people still, like, jonesing over his sneakers because he's still a tastemaker, that he's still a – that's what he still is. And and for a lot of people who are sneakerheads, like, they didn't see it, so now they're watching it and they're like, holy <laughs> this guy was – he really was that. And here's the difference. Like, we can argue all day about athletes and who's better and the eras, and there was just a bunch of guys that were stiffs that fouled and blah, blah, blah. All right, I disagree. It was a different era. We understand that. Like, you, you put, put today's NFL on and let guys, let guys maul wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, and, and, and then we can talk about those eras. But that's just the, – the, everything's different. I prefer today's NBA. I prefer freedom of movement. I prefer more athletes being allowed to be athletes and not just get bludgeoned. I prefer it. But you, you want to talk about that era, and you want to talk about what makes him different. Michael Jordan still, at 57 years old, is pissed off and wakes up pissed off every single day because he <laughs> hates the <laughs> Pistons. And LeBron James is not going to wake up in 20 years and hate anybody. Like, guys are just different now. And that's not a better or worse. That's just, I don't know how that's even a fact that can be debated, Steve. No, it's not. I, I, I took your question the wrong way. I think... LeBron will know just like there, there'll be the assets. There won't be the cry. There won't be the desire to, to have, you know, the thing as such as the Jordan shoe, but people, he'll, he'll still be out there. But I see where your point is. There, there, yeah, he's, he's unlike any other athlete. You knew it all along and he has a crazy in him. And that yeah. crazy is, is, it goes a lot of ways. It's, and, you're right. It, 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 it made him who he is. Exactly. And, and it, he, is, he is who he is because of that fuel, that rage that makes him want to kill you and mm-hmm. makes him still hate the Pistons to this day and mm-hmm. still hate Isaiah to this day. And, and here's the thing, Steve. 
this is this is where I'm sorry, this is where you're right about that word. He's still this mad, and he won. He beat him. <laughs> like imagine if he didn't if they didn't get through the Pistons. Like they had to beat that team as they were constructed. Had to beat him in order for Michael to be able to live, and he did. And he's still this mad. And when I'm talking about like, do you think LeBron? I, I, like he'll he's too he's a global icon. He'll never go away. The difference, Steve, is that in 2020, like LeBron's live Instagram and his, you know, what's going on with his house and, and, and Taco Tuesday and drinking wine and taking, like, making it a ask me anything kind of a thing. Like, like that's the glimpse into his life that he's willing to provide you. Michael, for all these years, kept this film in a vault until mm-hmm. he wanted to until he wanted to share this story with people now the hows and whys why was he motivated to do it now i mean there's some interesting you know interesting angles to that he started feeling like people are encroaching on his legacy and he wants to remind people like sure i I, i'm sure that's part of it but because so much of him is was a mystery and who he is was kind of closely guarded now people including you and me are really seeing it and it is fascinating to watch it, it it only it only gets better as far as the access uh the what's really like i when i was young i always thought he was that stone cold killer no matter what off the court uh you know not talking to anybody but when you start seeing this stuff you saw you know you saw the sniff brothers how awesome are those guys love them love them i said on sports center that one guy looks like he's straight out of the beastie boys sabotage video I'm they, like, are, they're the last line of defense between the bad guys and Michael Jordan. Are you me? It's 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 so awesome because they they become more bigger part because they show like Jordan he he controls all the tickets in the building and they just throw quarter like before games he throws quarters against the wall with them and he gets three they get three tries he gets one and they just take his money they love it. <laughs> I will say this and it starts showing up more and more as these episodes go on. I can't believe how many cigars Jordan smokes. Yeah. Like, I smoke a cigar, I am done the next day. <laughs> I'm done. This guy is going off for 50 and 60. He's out with Danny Age, and he takes Dennis Johnson to school for 60-something. It's incredible, these cigars that he has. He's, there's one scene coming up. He's in Madrashad. I think they're going to the game. He's smoking one. Like uh, you know. and, and and he's not smoking no Phillies. He's smoking yeah. the Cohibas. He's smoking the good ones. Cigars destroy you. <laughs> he's got. I mean, I don't want to hear. I mean, I know there's the rappers out there saying they got the iron lung. Jordan's got to have some pretty damn good lungs. Yeah, I mean, like his appetite for uh, for everything is is pretty uh, is pretty well documented. Um, look, I. I, I look I, I watch these uh, the day before I come in just so I can I know what I'm I know what's coming mm-hmm. and th- these three and four are fascinating I'll get into some of the back some of it on the back of this because we had John Sally on Sunday night and first of all I just love John Sally because he's bright and he's thoughtful and he's got that New York in him um, you know he's he was saw Jordan in, in like you know ACC days Georgia Tech. Uh, and then obviously in the NBA, he played against them. Then he goes to Chicago. And so he's got the perspective of all of it, having been on the inside and then having gone head to head. And we talked about all of that when he came on Sports Center with us on Sunday night. 
pleased to welcome in a man of whom it could be said four rings, three teams, three decades, two millenniums. I don't know. You might be one of one in that class, John Sally. How are you? Everybody's good? Everybody is good. What's up with you, Scotty? Nice head you got there. Yeah, you know, I I caught up to you. I caught up to you in the end. Listen, I'm grateful for you to take the time and and share your perspective of this because you have a unique insight into the all of it, really. And I I debated all day, John, whether I was going to start here. I just said, the heck with it. Let's dive in the deep end. Um, Horace Grant called the guys that didn't shake hands straight up bitches. Um, You were on the floor shaking hands. What happened there in the very end? The Bulls finally get through the Pistons. You were actually out there showing respect, but not everybody did. Well, this is the deal. It's funny. The Celtics walked off the court when Adrian Dantley was on the line as they were handing us the torch as Eastern Conference Championship. No one said anything to Larry Bird, Danny Ainge, Robert Parrish. And and even when Mikhail walked away, he only gave Isaiah a pound. Mm -hmm. And no one said anything, and they walked out. So Bill Lambert said, let's hand him the torch the same way the Celtics handed it to us. I understand that, you know, Michael's my frat brother, my guy, Horace and Scotty and I trading tickets. I was like, nah, Chuck, you need to put me back in the game because – I don't think I want to be a part of what's happening. And in hindsight, it would have changed everything for Isaiah, for us. Like, he wasn't on the dream team. People were thinking he was a bad guy. They were calling us thugs. So, you know, we played to it. But it wasn't – that was the way the Celtics handed it to us. Bill and Bear thought it was a smart thing for them to hand it back. I understand that, you know, sometimes you got to do things for your future self. Mm -hmm. My future self – you know, that's my guy. I'm going to try to kill you when I'm playing against you, but when it's all over, good match because it's just a game. So that's really fascinating. You you asked to go back in the game because you didn't want to do – you didn't want to walk off? I didn't want to walk off. Chuck Daly thought, yeah, Sal, you can't get any more points. Come on, let the guys play. And, you know, I, I understood. I understood okay. Bill. I still do understand where Bill was coming from. Um, he keeps that. And as he always says, it's all it's just business. Everybody else looked at it, took it personal, and they decided to come out and say things about us. But, you know, we were essential to Michael Jordan becoming Michael Jordan. That's the way we need to look at it, right? We toughened him up. He got stronger because of us. Once you get through us, you can get through anything. No question. And that's how we handed it off. No question. Well, look, Detroit had to get through Boston. Chicago had to get through Detroit. And and ultimately they did. So help frame for me, John, where the line between respect and Real hate. Where where was it? Because it sounds to me like maybe you guys were, were far less towards the hate. That hate all was coming from there. Where, where was it for you guys? It wasn't there. We we played basketball the way basketball is played. Maybe they came in and changed the way, and we changed. Think about this. So many rules are in place because of Detroit, uh-huh. and we played them exactly to the law, right? If you're allowed to impede somebody's uh, uh, um Move across the middle, you can chuck them that. You can do that and get back to your man. The guys inside the lane, you try your hardest, right? To block a shot. It's it's just what it was. It was body. It was man's game. Now it's you know you got guys who are worth more than some Fortune 500 company. <laughs> of course they don't want to see them hit the ground. Right. But we weren't going up and cutting their legs from under them. We were literally going up trying to impede the shots, making them know it's not going to be easy. So we didn't have any hate. We just wanted to win, and that was our mentality. It's us against the world. If they took it off the court and started thinking about it, then those are the people who have to deal with it. We don't have to deal with that. 
we were paying attention to what our colors were. We were paying attention to the fact that we had to fight to get to that point, and we lost. But that was cool, you know, but we're going to hand it to you the same way the Celtics handed it to us. They didn't shake our hands, so we're not shaking your hands. I just also wanted some extra points, and uh, I wanted to say congratulations to my boy. Get buckets. Get buckets. I have long contended, John, that in sports, a rivalry cannot exist until I take something from you that matters, right? Until I do that, then maybe I could be a nuisance, but ultimately you can't view me as someone worthy of, of that ultimate regard because I haven't taken something from you that matters. When they, up until the point that they did beat you, how did the Pistons view the Bulls? Well, we viewed them as a very tough team. We went at Scotty because we thought Scotty was a very important part. So uh, we went after him, after him mentally. A little physical the year before, but mostly mental. So it was a mental game constantly. Bill and, Bill and Bear would always say every possession, every foul shot was worth 100,000 points if you were smart to think that way. And every possession. We don't let people score. We had a thing in Detroit. We try to keep you on the 80. You know, if we kept you on the 80, everybody got a pizza. So you take your <laughs> ticket and you get a pizza. So our idea was to slow it down and make you play every single play. And, and you had to have good and great mental health in order to do that. And then, years later, Rodman wears their jersey. Years later, you wear their jersey. That's a hell of a trick when you've worn the black hat and now all of a sudden you ride into town like as, as, as the conquering hero. Like, how did, how did that work? How did that work within the confines of the locker room given where you had come from? Well, that's another thing. People really buy into what the media puts up, right? And okay, so set not, me straight. Michael, set me straight, John. Michael, Michael, well, when it was time to get me to come on, they asked MJ. He was like, yes. Okay. So Michael doesn't hate anybody. He knew what we were great at. You know, he made, we read an article as Pistons, we talked, and it said, I hated the Pistons then, and it travels to this day. It's because it was such a traumatic time of his life. But he doesn't really hate us as individuals. Mm-hmm. He hated the fact that we were a team that wasn't going to be moved easily, and we were in a team that was so enamored. We knew he was great. I, I mean, I've been going off a year saying, yeah, he was the best in the 90s. I got to admit, he's the greatest ever. But I couldn't say that. I'm a Detroit Piston. You know, I'm still wearing bad boy stuff. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? So it was it was that mentality. But in the locker room, you know, you're in the locker room. This is like IBM. I tell people, whether you play in the New York office, Chicago office, Los Angeles office, the Boston office, or the Miami office, it's all one company. So I was there to be a professional athlete. And that was another thing about Detroit. We were very professional. And I learned a lot by being a professional on that team. When you look back at it, John, through, with the benefit of time and, and you know, our, our perspective, we gain perspective, I think, through time. And, and, and I, I keep being fascinated by the younger folks that are going to watch this for whom this is many ways an introduction to this era, this, this time in basketball. What would you have them know about who the Pistons were, who the, who the Bulls were, who you all were, that, that time? What would you want them to really understand? We were, as you would say, the blue-collar team. On Detroit, we had Isaiah Thomas. He was a superstar. Then we had Adrian Danley, leading scorer, uh, two years in a row, superstar. The Joe Dumas becoming a superstar. And we were guys who everybody played their role. Bill Lambert said to me the other day, he said, well, Sal, you couldn't shoot. It was a difference between not being able to shoot <laughs> and I didn't shoot. And I scored when was necessary. Chuck Daly said, I need you to play defense, block shots, and grab rebounds. If you want to play, that's what's available. Joe Dumas said, I got to get a ball to Isaiah. You know, I got to give it to AD. 
Bill needs about 20 shots or uh, 15 shots. I got to get 12. So, Sal, you got to get it off the rim. <laughs> Everybody understood their role. And then when Vinny Johnson got in the game, you knew you were giving the who 15 shots. You better give him his shots because he can put it in the basket really quick. So I just feel everybody did what was important. Everybody, we played the game the way it was. We were fundamentally sound. We shut you down on defense. Defense wins championships. And we scored when we had to. So, And we were also really, really mentally tough. We stayed focused. When we lost in 1988 in Game 7 to the Los Angeles Lakers, I don't even know if any of us took a week off. We were, like, ready to come back and play again. So that next year, we even played better. We did what was necessary for us to win. Not everything. We didn't, we didn't try to hurt anybody. But you did know when you came to this game, you were going to fight. And not physically. Some guys wanted to put their hands up. But if you pay attention to NBA ball plays, they don't know how to jab. <laughs> so it wasn't really any fight. <laughs> uh, and, and we really didn't throw punches. Isaiah threw a couple of punches, but on guys that were seven foot and 100 pounds heavier than them. Uh, that was about it. Uh, Rick Mahorn threw a punch to get somebody off, and Bill Ambeer got hit with a lot of punches. But as he, he put his mask on and kept going, we were about winning. We were about making sure we represented the city of Detroit, which was in a really crazy situation at that time. And we were, I would guess, a shining light for that city. And we did a lot for that city. We did a lot by raising uh, the morale of that city. And we were a small town that no one was paying attention to that got in the way of the NBA's, uh, I'm going to say, uh, situation. Because Michael was next to be crowned. And we were like, wait a minute. We got something to say. Yeah, and, and your place is secure in history as a result of that. And, and, I, and I love that you get to share that 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 version. Not I started to say of your truth. It's not your truth. It's the truth. That's who Detroit was. But you already admitted it. And I just, as the last thought, because people are going to look back and they're going to say, what was MJ? As you look back at him now, who... What did he become, John? It was funny. I was talking to James Worthy, not the name drop on you, Scott. Right. But uh, I was talking to James Worthy, and he was like, can you believe skinny little Michael is Michael Jordan? And I was like, yeah, because I had been around since 1982. And to see him become what everybody models themselves after. And I'd gone years of saying, oh, he was the best in the 90s, Dr. J, Oscar Robinson. I, I just had to admit it. You know, I'm not I'm not going to get to be this, get to do this again. He was the greatest basketball player in the NBA history. And I don't know if anybody is going to even come close. Kobe, very close. LeBron, very close. Uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, still my two guys that I have nightmares about. But there's nothing like MJ. Nothing. And the differentiator is what? He's from a planet that we that we haven't discovered yet, mm-hmm. and he came here. They did a they did a movie about him, a couple of you know comic books called Superman. Right. Yeah, you might have heard him, but he was he was a different color in the comic books. You know, we in America, but he <laughs> is he is Superman and is nothing he can't will himself to do. Nothing. Well, Superman didn't get a ten part movie, and Michael Jordan did, so it all works out in the end. John, look, it's been way too long since our paths crossed, man. I I always enjoy your company and your time and your perspective. Stay well until next time. All right, John. All right, man. The thing, Steve, about the Pistons, and I keep going back to younger viewers who who don't get it because so many people say, "Oh, it was just it was just the Lakers and the Celtics and the Bulls." Well, yeah, and that's what John's talking about. 
that they took great pride in messing up the NBA's little thing. Detroit's like, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and win a couple, and we're going to do it in a real rugged style, and we will be unapologetic to the grave. And they are. And John, and, and talking about how they played, like there's zero backup. Like he's saying, we played within the rules. We were physical. We represented our city. We had an identity. They have great pride in that. And they deserve to be because that group, like go back and look at them. And people don't, I, I don't expect people to understand Adrian Dantley and Aguirre or know how much like Vinnie Johnson off the bench, this and that. Like that team was constructed. Um, to deal with the Boston Celtics, and they had to get through Boston, and they they eventually slayed Boston, and then Chicago had to get through Detroit. That's just how things went. There was a hierarchy, and you had to go. It was like having a big brother. You had to be able to to beat your big brother, and that's why they didn't shake hands. Um, and and there's a look on Jordan's face, and as they walk by him, that that I that's why 22 years later, that's why he still is like. You can see it. He's like, are you mother for real? You're going to walk out and not shake my I shook your hand. You're not going to shake my hands. Are, are you for real? Like after all these battles. And I don't blame Jordan for, for feeling that way. But the way Sally explains it, that's what Boston did to us. That's what we're doing to you. And so from that perspective, I guess I get it. You know what I mean, Steve? But Scott, that sucks. Come on. I agree. Come I on. Agree. Right. Right. I'm okay. with Jordan. Right. I'm with okay. Jordan. Okay. I'm with Jordan. Right. I'm a hundred percent with Jordan. I'm saying I Detroit's like they did it to us. This is just how we do. Big brother, that, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you that respect. And I think it's bullshit. I I totally it's, think it's bullshit. It's terrible. You, every time the question is asked, all they do is talk about the Celtics. This isn't the Celtics. It's Jordan. Yep. The Celtics, they didn't beat you. This has nothing to do with the Celtics. Don't give I, me this. This is what happened to them. It's I, I so, so Rudy Poo League, man. God. They're so, yeah. They were so tough. And the, the one thing that really upsets me is Isaiah, and I get it. He deserves, as a player, he was incredible. But there's nothing on there about Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars was awesome. You're he right. did all the dirty work that Isaiah Never, never wanted to do. And I listen, Isaiah. Like I said, he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. But Joe Dumars, man, like he. When I think about the Pistons, that's who I think about. I think about Joe Dumars. He took on the assignment all the time. I mean, look at the the guys he guarded in the NBA back then, and that guy was incredible. Um, and you know, things went. You know, he, he constructed the Pistons and won a title, and things went sour from there. But Joe Dumars is the one guy I wish people got to see out of this documentary because. Oh, that the bad boys, since their documentary, it just feels like it's only you know the people you see with Rodman, Lambeer, Sally, and Isaiah. There, there was a there was a good team because you look at that and you're like, how the hell did they score points? Isaiah was great, but uh, Dumars was fantastic. Yeah, and and I, look, I want to be clear. I understand what the Pistons are selling. I'm just telling you, I'm not buying it. Like John Sally's not lying. That's how they felt. And they felt like, okay, well, we didn't, they didn't do it to us, so we're not, not going to do it either. You know what that's like? That's like the losers and fraternities that, that, that haze people. Like, oh, well, they haze me, so I'm going to haze you. Now, don't be that. Like, don't, don't be that guy. Don't, don't be, and I don't even think people haze anymore in fraternities because I don't think you're allowed to. But I'm just like, because like, I was in a fraternity, and like, the, guy, the people that were the ones that hazed you were the losers because they like, now I get to do it. So the Pistons are like, now we get to not shake your hand. And that look on, 
like there's so many specific things from this this documentary that'll stay with me. The look on his face, not that he was hurt because they weren't in a position to hurt him. Like you have nothing to threaten me with now. We just kicked your ass. But the fact that the fact that you're going to walk off like punks on your home floor, you're supposed to be so tough. And this is how you're going to This is how you're going to walk out. Well, then walk your asses out because you're done. And they were, it was over and they slayed the dragon. And then from that point, you know, they go off, and running. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan got sent to Vegas to get Dennis Rodman out of Carmen oh. Electra's bed. Your guy Wob on Twitter said it's like a scene in The Hangover. They're sending the best player in the NBA to go find Dennis Rodman and pull him out of Carmen Electra's bed. By the way, Carmen, shout to you. You, you, Carmen Electra, you remain, you remain the yardstick by which all others are judged. Are you joking? Just a treat. Just a love. Just a goddess. She's a goddess. Uh, but a me- like, if you want to know how good Rodman was, that's what happened. He told Phil, I need a vacation and went to Vegas. Jordan's like, he ain't coming back. And he didn't. And they sent Jordan to find him. <laughs> like, I, I, I just can't get over how much... Uh, I mean, and this is the, everybody's doing some version of, oh, can you imagine social media? Forget social media. Just imagine it in 1997. Imagine it then. Imagine it in, in that era when Jordan's that guy, and your job is to go bring back the dude who rebounds and plays defense. That's did you amazing. Guys, did you guys hear the quote, uh, Carmen Electra talking about the date where Dennis took her to the Bulls facility? I did. I did. Apparently blind- they enjoyed them. They enjoyed them. He blindfolds me, and we get on his motorcycle. When he finally takes me, the, takes the blindfold off. We're standing at the Bulls practice facility, center court. It's crazy. Like two kids in the candy store, we're eating popsicles from the fridge, and pretty much having sex all over the damn place in the physical therapy room, the weight room, obviously on the court. Yeah, sure, Dennis Rodman. Hey, Carmen, Carmen Electra. Who said he didn't score? Hey, sex <laughs> jokes. Um, like. The, Simmons and Rosillo were did their thing on their podcast on the Ringer about like is is Rodman interesting and I get what they're saying they're saying that like that this documentary doesn't really uncover any new layers and 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 I understand what what the, the point that they're making um, I I just think you got to remember at the time that he was doing all the things he was doing he 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 got he could have nights and he had nights where he had like twenty eight rebounds and zero points yeah like he like that would be the box score. And then there's the like he was at the at the earliest curve of tattoos and like, sort of gender bending and exploration of self and just all of these different things. Like he's an introvert who lived as an extrovert. Like, I, I mean, I think him as a case study, as a human being is is what makes him interesting. Now, if the point is we're not going to find out anything new. Well, no, because he kind of just put it all out there um, <laughs> the first time around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but 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 I do. But in the same way that I don't think necessarily everybody gets what people's impacts were. He was old at that point. Like he yeah. led the league in rebounding as an old guy. And, and the, 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 the most the most telling part, Steve, to me about the whole Vegas story is that when he came back from absolutely burying the needle in 11 on the party meter for however long he was out there, nonstop drinking, I presume drugging at whatever. He comes back, and then they play that game of Indian where it's time to – got to chase the lead guy, and they couldn't catch him. Like Hell no. 
for, like he ran four. Like Jordan explains, it took him four laps to catch Rodman, and this is after he comes back from Vegas. Like, like he just had a different gear as as a, as a human. Like it's just a gear none of the rest of uh, of the rest of the species possess. I just wish people could see, like, if you go back and watch, watch some old games, like all these games are on YouTube. If you're bored, if, you know, got something to do. He, it, my favorite thing about him when he was, like, he, when he scored, I don't know, he didn't score a lot, but whenever he did, it was automatic fist pump in the air and a dead sprint, sprint back sprint. on defense. It was awesome. And he, you just think about guys, you know, getting back on defense nowadays. It, it would just be a, a like a, uh, what's our sports science guy out there? Let's get him on that case to see how Brankish? fast it takes. John yeah, Brankus. Get Brankus on that. Getting back on D, visual. The analogy I'd make, and I live in the woods, so where I live, sometimes <laughs> you'll encounter a deer. And if, okay. Otis, if Otis the dog sees a deer, he is going to try to kill that deer. But, oh. the, deer, but the deer has... A di- speaking of different gears, the, the deer has a gear Otis doesn't possess, and they could go from zero to sixty in the in the blink of an eye, like gone. That's how Rodman would run. He'd give yep. you that one moment of I just scored, and then at absolute warp speed, he was sprinting back uh, on defense. He, I mean, obviously a different a different dude. But as I said to to Jackie McMullen and Michael Wilbon, and we'll get to our conversation from Sports Center in a minute, like. If this is a Hollywood movie, Jordan is DiCaprio, right? And Pippen, I guess, is Brad Pitt. And Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman are not the, the lead actors on the marquee. But this movie doesn't happen without both of them. And I thought that what was interesting about this weekend's episodes is you got to see and really understand how they dealt with each other and how Phil's ability to, to give Rodman that rope and that wiggle room is what I think is the ultimate genius in Phil in Phil Jackson. Not oh, he only had talent. Every coach that wins in the NBA has talent. His ability to massage and manage the uh, all of the different personalities, all of the chess pieces, uh, is is really I think what ultimately made him the winningest coach in history. Like sure, he had talent, but that doesn't always mean it works. You have to make the puzzle pieces fit, and I think that I. You've seen more of this than I have. I think. Am I going to get more of a glimpse into that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's. It, it, I mean, it's continuous. It's. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, I like. I mean, I know people have talked about the flashbacks and how it's constructed, going back to every title. But I, I like the way it is. I really. Uh, and and you see Phil from the beginning. That's what I think, and that's where I come out as he's the most fascinating guy to me. Is just. I mean, how about the video in Puerto Rico? Are you kidding Start me? Up, are you nuts? Yeah. Who's, who, who, who's taking a hard foul in those games? Holy uh, cow. You tell me what guys aren't waiting for you out of the locker room on that. Those places. Dude's got shots. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, no, Phil's come out of this and, and continues to be more fascinating to me because of how smart he was and how relative he was to the players. And it, it just, it, it, he's what makes it work. And, it's 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 amazing. It's amazing to watch and, and watch it unfold. So, um, and I, I also loved hearing Jackie and Michael talk about him because they they were around him every day. So, with that in mind, uh, the conversation from Sunday night, uh, th- and we're going to keep doing this every Sunday uh, during the last dance. Three more Sundays of this, we will. It's basically like a post show. Uh, I don't know, review or whatever. Just keep the conversation going. So, we had Michael Wilbot and Jackie McMullen on to talk about episodes three and four of the last dance. Jackie, I want to start with you just with, with the, this Kraus 
storyline. And as we pick up the end of this episode, I'm sure people that are watching this maybe for the first time are wondering, why was this guy so hell-bent on derailing this, this, uh, this juggernaut? What do you remember about it? You know, it, you just wish you could go back in time and tell Jerry Krause, I know you want credit. Just lay out and wait for someone to actually give it to you. I wonder how things would be different if he could have just been able to do that. He wanted to be part of the club, Scott, and he was never going to be one of the guys on that team. And I think he just started thinking, well, if I'm not in your club, then I'm breaking up the club. And hey, by the way, Phil Jackson, I discovered you. How come you're more popular and more famous than I am? And these are the kind of things, the insecurities and the paranoia that turned Jerry Krause into a villain. Scott, you know what's interesting is hearing people now who, who don't remember or weren't aware at the time of what happened, you know, 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get all kinds of text messages, and I'm sure you do, too. I know you do, Jackie, with people saying, how did this happen? <laughs> exactly. People can't believe it because I don't think it could happen today. <laughs> I mean, the criticism directed at executive level people today is so much different than it was in, you know, in the late 90s. And the constant conversation. Not every town had sports talk radio in the same way we're talking about. There was no social media. People didn't have hot takes that were broadcast everywhere. And even in live time, though, I can tell you, as somebody who was around occasionally, not every day like the Chicago writers, but Jackie and I were around more than occasionally. And we knew then it was like, what? what is Jerry Krause doing? He gets credit for finding Scottie Pippen. He gets the credit for getting Phil Jackson away from the Rochester Zenith or whatever that was in the CBA. <laughs> he got the credit. What, what's wrong with having gotten it then? And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for him. Michael, uh, speaking of hot takes, I don't know if this is one 20-some-odd years after the fact, but for the Bulls to beat the Lakers, that's cool. But the Bulls had to beat the Detroit Pistons as the Detroit Pistons were constructed. Had to do it. And there's a small window to get that accomplished in. Looking back at it, Mike, how important was them finally getting over that Pistons mountain? It was as important. And we heard somebody express that during episode four. It was as important as the Pistons getting past the Celtics. I mean, the one thing about the Pistons and their greatness, they beat Larry Bird and Magic Johnson in their primes to get their championships. And so you had to go through the dragon that it's, you know, tormented you. And the Bulls did that. You heard Horace Grant speak to it. You heard Michael even say, and I know people are incredulous, saying in some ways beating the Pistons was a bigger deal than beating the Lakers. It was. Mm-hmm. I, it, it, there's no question as, as, as someone who, who grew up in Chicago the Pistons were the object, yeah. not just the opponent, but the object of this this resentment yeah. and this sort of it built to hatred. Jordan used hatred. I don't think anybody's going to back away from that. Well, and I think part of it, Michael, is this. It was the way the Pistons played, too. Right. So they were the, the team that if you got hit, they heard a whistle. OK, there's already a foul. They'll hit you again. <laughs> and I think Michael Jordan objected to it. He didn't he didn't like that. It happened all the time. Go back and look at the at the film. And so I don't think it was just the fact that you needed to get past the Pistons and the rite of passage. It was the way they played and the fact that they walked off as it was well documented now after uh, the Bulls finally beat them. I think Jordan objected to everything about them, including the way they played the game. Oh, no question, Jackie. There's no question about that. The rite of passage was one part of it. The hatred didn't come from the rite of passage. The hatred came from the Bulls and Pistons. And yes, the the conflict that resulted in those games. I mean, I don't even know that we got a real feeling for how 
I mean, just the, the, the hatred the two teams have for each other, the physical punishment, the physicality that went on. Because there's no basketball played like that today. I watched the first hour of this with my son, who's 12 years old, <laughs> plays basketball, and he kept saying, Dad, there's like four fouls in that one sequence. How come they couldn't call a foul? And I said, you know, that wasn't the way it went down then, Matthew. That it, 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 it would be called that way now. He's like, that's two flagrant fouls at once. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to look at those games, <laughs> to funny. sit there and watch those games. Jackie knows it played out with the Celtics before it got to the Bulls. It played out with the Lakers before it got. Chicago's not the only place that hates the Pistons. The Celtics and Lakers in L.A. and Boston, they hated the Pistons as well when they got in those big playoff series. So this was this was spread around the league. It wasn't only Chicago and it wasn't only the Bulls, but the Bulls finished it. I mean, the Bulls put put the to the period to the end of that sentence. They did, and John Sally will join us a bit later to to give us his perspective from inside uh, how Detroit viewed it, and it's really really interesting. Jackie, I was talking to you before we started tonight that if this were a Hollywood film about the Bulls, obviously Jordan is the DiCaprio. He's the he's the star. Scottie Pippen would be the co-star. Yes. But I think Sunday night's episodes focusing on uh, on Rodman and on Phil. They're the stars without whom this film doesn't happen. And, and I think it's, it's fascinating to see the way Rodman is viewed, especially through the prism of Phil, because it feels to me that Phil, and only Phil, could have handled this second incarnation of Rodman. You know them both so well. What did each find the other? Well, I think what everybody has to realize, because if you watch this film, you probably wouldn't understand it. Dennis Rodman is an introvert. He really is. When he came into the league, he was a jeans and sneakers guy. No tattoos, no no rings, very quiet. I remember being at an all-star game with him in 92. I'm in the hallway with him. They're announcing the players that are going to play in the game the next day, Rodman being one of them. They announce his name, Scott. Everybody starts booing. And he looks at me. He had tears in his eyes, and he's like, why don't they like me? Well, they don't like you because you're a bad boy. Chuck Daly loved him, put his around, arm around him and loved him. And he got Dennis Rodman to play the way he did for the Bulls. I mean, for the Pistons. Now, Daly leaves. Dennis Rodman goes off the rails. He comes to Chicago. Here's a guy that might be as different as he is, as crazy as that may sound. Phil's kind of quirky, certainly different than your average NBA coach. He puts his arm around Dennis Rodman and says, I love you too. Let's make a deal. You can go to Vegas. I won't do anything as long as you come back and win for us. It was a match made in heaven. It really was. You know, it was, it's so, what's so great about the telling of the Las Vegas story, which some of us had known, some of us had known Scott off the record for years and, 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 and couldn't tell it publicly. But Michael had right. to manage it along with Phil. I mean, so so because look what happens when Rodman goes to Phil and says, I, I got to take a vacation. What does Phil do? He knew he was he didn't go to Jerry Krause. He didn't go to Jerry Reiser. He went to Michael and they had to plot out what they were going to do. And of course, you heard Michael's skepticism. And in real time, it was just Michael did not believe that Rodman was going to just be back in the fold. You couldn't get him to believe that because they didn't know what a wild card. You, you knew he was a wild card. How much of a wild card? And when he when they got him back from Vegas, it's just, I mean, th 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 that story, seriously, suppose that happened today. Of course. Suppose you had a team, a major market <laughs> team with the stars of that level, and one dude just say, I'm going to Vegas. 
I'm going to Vegas for 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. Twitter would explode. It would come to an end. Yeah, well, that, that's a different way to manage your minutes and, and, and how much of a workload you're getting. But then, of course, they tell the story. He comes back and they play the game of Indian where you got to catch the guy and Rodman. They can't catch him for four laps. And really, I think that's the beauty and the genius of him is that he was wired differently. And yet, Michael, what he did for this team, only he could do. How do you, how do you view his importance to the, in the cog of that second run? Well, the, the fact that, you know, Scotty uttered a phrase, he said it was like hand in glove from the time he joined the team. And I don't think anybody expected that. You expected drama. You expected the drama you got in San Antonio with Dennis when he first started coloring his hair and being an extrovert, because Jackie's so right about him being to his true to personality an introvert. But he fit, he fit right away. Um, and so, especially once, once Scotty was back on the floor and Dennis with that energy and, and, and look, they had to replace Horace Grant. And I think Horace Grant is one of the overlooked people in the telling of this story about those Bulls teams. Horace Grant was a great fit and did some things that, to be honest, Dennis didn't do, wasn't going to do. Right. But they had to replace him. And Dennis Rodman could do so many things. Guard. I mean, Dennis Rodman was down in the low post against Shaq, and he had to be given away about 100 pounds. I mean, that's part of the assignment. He would take on anything, and the Bulls received a lot of that personality, and it helped evolve them from what they had been to what they were to become. We could do this for the whole hour, just like the episodes. They go by far too quickly. But, Jackie, if I could just give you the final thought and maybe maybe with a look towards Phil, and if you can be as decorated as he's been and still be perhaps underappreciated, is, is that perhaps how you see part of him? You know, the thing about Phil is he's just disarming. And I mean that in the most positive way. And that's why he connects with people. Because you think he, you think there's going to be some kind of ceremony? No. He just says whatever he's thinking. He says whatever he means to say. He puts his arm around you and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. And guys buy into it. I remember Shaq telling me once with the Native American stuff and the Zen, he's lying down in the Zen and he said, Phil, it's not working. I fell asleep. And, and, and Phil said to him, well, Shaq, that's because you're tired. You know, he just knows how to connect with players. And then they a have a parade. Gift. And then they have a parade. Um, Michael, Jackie, thank you so there much you for go. taking the time to be with us. Uh, I think like all of us, we're just we look forward to next Sunday night and watching the next couple of episodes. Appreciate so you. Fun. Be well. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Steve, obviously our conversation uh, started with where episode four ends. And so much conversation is about Jerry Krause and like, why, 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 why? Why would you want to end this? And I think and with the, with the uh, Golden State Warriors, we just saw why. Because dealing with how outsized everyone's personality and needs and ego can become in the midst of all of that success, like it becomes unmanageable, it becomes untenable. And the thing, and I've read some pieces about this, I'm curious where you land. Like Kraus brought plenty of this on himself. He's not here to defend himself now. The man's passed away. And so it's a, I don't want to say it's a bad look. I just think it's an, un, it's unfortunate for someone who isn't here to defend himself even though he had plenty of chances while he was alive to kind of explain, hey man, why why was this why was this the way you played these cards? I, I think unfair, unfortunate is is how I'd say it uh, about for 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 Kraus, just because all all that can be said is what other people say about how it went. You know what I mean? Yeah, I saw. Uh, I was talking to Damian Woody. He brought up a point about why didn't Jordan go to Kraus about Pippen's money, and I just. 
everybody knew that you don't go back and renegotiate with Kraus. Like that, that was the deal. And I, I just look at Kraus as, you know, he's, he was the guy that they were, you know, he had the first party and he invited everybody. And then those guys took it to the after party and never let him come to the after party. And after eight years of an after party, not getting invited, he's like, all right, screw that after party. I'm shutting it down. That's the only thing I can come up with. Like he just, he wanted to be with the cool guy. How about him dancing? Oh my yeah. God. I mean, look, let's just, I mean, look, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to body shame or whatever you say, no. whatever the whatever the term is in 2020. But let's just be honest. He's you know he's kind of a short little stocky dude, and he starts hopping around, and you, everybody's just like they clowned him to begin with. Like even in that moment, they weren't going to give him that. That and that's kind of messed up, you know. Like yeah. whatever. What, like look, we all have people we we deal with in the work situation that, that that aren't our best friends, and you figure out how to deal with it. And you know when you have success, the best kind of success is shared success. The best. If, mm-hmm. if, if, if when it's territorial, if people don't share that love, if it doesn't feel like it's collaborative, if people don't feel like they've got a stake, then I do. Th- I, I, I get, you know, I get that there's resentment. But you know what? I you know what? I mean, hindsight being 2020, like since they decided to rip it up, you know, Phil won as many titles, five, as the Bulls have won playoff series since that. They went 12 years and won one playoff series after they decided that was the last dance. So, you know, what's you know, what's more fun. You know what's more fun than not being invited to the after party when you win the title? Or, excuse me, you know what's not more fun than that? Going 12 years and winning one playoff series. That sucks worse than not being invited to the after party when you win a title. And, you know, the Bulls had to deal with that. So, I mean, look, the person, human nature, psyche, ego, id, all that stuff we learned in Psych 101 or whatever, I mean, all of this is on display. Um, then and now, that's what makes this compelling. And I said this the other, last night when we were watching this, Steve. Like, as much as right now sucks for so many different reasons, the ability of everyone to focus only on this and consume it as as um, intently as they are is is actually a cool thing. Because it's if this were airing in the middle of other things going on, our, our attention would be distracted. But this is all anybody's got. So, I mean, it's like the Zapruder film. Every frame is being is being reconstructed to kind of piece together how you how you view things. And I think, I mean, as the story goes, I feel like it's a worthy story. It's worthy of that of that level of scrutiny, you know? No doubt. No doubt. It's 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 awesome. It's 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 everything is good. And uh, I'm really, really interested to see what happens in the next couple episodes because it goes off the court. Uh, a lot and the gambling stuff i'm really interested to see how people take it um just to you know they they do i think they do a great job explaining jordan talks about what he did and uh i think it's the backlash is is going to be uh pretty pretty incredible uh are you ready for some questions do i have to do it or are we gonna you got we got production i'll just do it (laughs) scott on the spot. Pandemic side. All right, ready? <laughs> no, I'm not ready. I'm making Star Wars noises. <laughs> Go ahead. What? Bob Cousy versus Allen Iverson one on one, game to 11, only ones. Who wins? Are we allowed to carry, or do you yes. have to do? 
Are you, so you're, it's modern dribbling where you're allowed to, like, do the hesitation? Yeah, Kuzi could go between the legs. But he's going to dribble like he's playing paddle ball? I mean, come on. I, he can't stay in front of Iverson, and Iverson's going to make him fall down. Iverson, come on. Oh, all right. Jeez. Well, you had some love for the guy. Did you root for the Pistons in the late 80s? No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't at all. Because they were they were the obstacle to, to to Jordan. I wanted to watch that guy play, and they they were intent on knocking him down. I wanted to see the guy fly, and they didn't want to let that happen. So you didn't want. No, how no. about when the Celtics were coming to an end? You weren't rooting no. for him. For, yeah. The Celtics is weird because you know they drafted Leonard, and so I, I always I, I spent a lot of time in the mid '80s just imagining what it would have looked like with with bias there, and yeah, and, and so there was this. Like I was never a Celtics guy, but I. It was hard not to imagine that, particularly because, and I had this conversation with John Sally off the air about what would have happened if, if Leonard lived because of the trajectory he was on. He, he was going to be in Boston. Like, and that's actually a fascinating subplot in the whole big picture. Because if he's in Boston, then that delays Detroit. And that maybe that delays Chicago. So, like, I wasn't a Boston fan, but I was definitely not rooting for Detroit. And, and my respect for them is only after the fact. Like I look back now and I go, you know what? They earned they earned it. You might not have liked how they did it, and I didn't. But they were champions, and they were champions in in the way they played. But at the time, absolutely not. I did not root for them. Uh, how's the grocery situation? Um, I uh, I'm not doing well. Um, I'm not doing well. I I like, like everybody. I think I think like. I have uh, like a, there's a, like a lot of just little snacky foods that I have, and I and I'm I find myself eating a lot more of them now. Um, so we have lots of crunchies, salty, and a lot of sweet, savories, sort of not savory. We just have a lot of treats, a lot of snacks. Uh, um, not a lot. Of, I do I do make a point to buy strawberries though, and I think, hey, if I want something sweet, how about some strawberries? And then I say, no, you know what's better? How about a handful of M and M's? How about that? <laughs> Then, then how about you go for a handful of Planters peanuts, and then oh. maybe that, and then ooh, and then ooh, that's a little more salty than I want. Let's go second hand of M and M's, and now we're just sitting there like a slug on the couch. And on, and by the way, on the way out here, I want to just say um, a sincere f you to our friend Big Cat and <laughs> and Steve to you because what? big be, be, because because. Big Cat started this thing where he's play. He's the offensive coordinator, and they're playing these games for. I, he was at Florida State, now he's at USC, and like thousands, tens of thousands of people watch him play these video games, and it's amazing, like how involved the schools are and whatever else. So, like I love that game, like everybody loves that game. But you said, well, I was you joined as the offensive coordinator of who Wyoming? Yes. And then you won a title with who? Uh, Kentucky. And what's the name of the coach? Scott Van Pelt. Woohoo! It's come full circle. I used to create you, Stanford Steve, former five star Connecticut Gatorade Player of the Year in high school football. I used to connect. Uh, um, what's it? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I used create? to create. Yeah, thank you. Good God. I used to create you in the video game and recruit. I'd go through the whole process. But as Big Cat and you show, if you go coordinator route, it is so much quicker. 
Like the whole process is so much faster. So, so I go home Sunday night after you tell me this, and yep. I am the I am the offensive coordinator at Nevada. Shout okay. out to the shout out to Reno. Heck and yeah, love four, Reno. Four thirty in the morning, I'm still playing against Hawaii, and we lose. We lose because my kicker misses an extra point, and then I get down to the ten yard line to kick a game winning field goal. He missed that. I lost twenty one to twenty. It's four thirty in the morning, and I just lost to Hawaii, and it's your fault, and it's Big Cat's fault. So I just want to say sincerely, <laughs> you to both you guys. We've cussed a lot in this episode, but you know what? You know what I've learned through uh, the last dance. You can cuss. Don't Heck yeah. Don't beep any of this, Travis. I'm allowed to cuss. Will Bond's on there saying mother that I can cuss. Just beep, beep, the hell with beeping. Just, I can cuss. We're all allowed to cuss. That's the rules. Pandemic rules are R-rated ESPN. If you beat Hawaii, would you have played another game? 1,000%. (laughs) And so the first thing I did, the first thing I did when I woke up at the crack of noon on Monday, as I went downstairs and I fired it up, I couldn't wait to go to San Diego State. And we won a hard-fought game there. Then we went to Boise and we kicked their ass on the blue turf. And now we got a game with Fresno. And it's the only – I can't wait to play Fresno. I'm, a, I'm over 50. <laughs> I can get letters from AARP because I'm old. And I can't wait to play Fresno. This is what it's come to, man. Good guy. You know, Travis, you should you should probably beat me. Go ahead. You probably you probably should beat me. Uh, What's planning on it? Okay. Uh that's the end of the podcast. Everybody have a nice day.